So for those of you that are here early, this, uh, I was asked what this is. All some sin men. Anybody seen that before? All some sin men. This is having fun with your Arminian brothers, if there is such a thing. This is, this is one of those logical equations, you know. All, some, sin, and men. So anyhow you put this together. Okay? So, it's all the sins of all the men. For whom did Christ die? And that's the question. For whom did Christ die? And your answers are, these are the only answers you can have. All the sin for some of the men. All the sin of all the men. Is that true? There are some that say yes. But that would be... That would be... Universalism. Right? So who, for whom did Christ die? All the sin of all the men. And we say categorically no. It's kind of a nice thought. But. How about all the sin of some of the men? Yes. Yes. This is fun with your Armenian friends. You're including one and two. We're including in the generic sense, yeah. Okay, how about some of the sin of some of the men? No. Okay, you see where I'm, you see where I'm going. You want, there's, there's only four things you can do there, okay? It's just fun. Just a little... It's, so you have something to chit-chat about while you're walking that remark. Okay, everybody, we're going we're gonna to use this today. So, this is out of the knowledge of the Holy. I continue to say, buy it. Buy the knowledge of the Holy. It's beneficial to you. Okay, I'm going to read out of James. Uh, this uh, touches on our reading, of course. This is, uh, uh, James 3. And James 3, 6 through 10. I'm going to talk about the tongue. I want you to think about this in relation to Isaiah. Okay? I want you to think about James 3, 6 through... I'm actually going to do 6 through 12. Think about this in relation to Isaiah. Okay? And the tongue is a fire... The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and itself is set on fire by hell. James 3, 6 through 12. That's tough for an Italian. You just need an old-fashioned Bible that you can flip to. <laughs> okay. Now look at... All right. Again, think about this in the context of Isaiah. And what Isaiah said. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, not just my body, the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race but 
No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You getting this? Is this good preaching or what? <laughs> with it, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Your tongue. The very world of iniquity. Talking about you know, that, that's what separates us from all the other animals as well, you know. Uh, we're, we're the only uh, creature that can speak. And that separates us from all of God's creation. So that makes us, in a way, a special creation in, in the image of God. And it's through words. Uh, my mother and I did, uh, are saying through the Psalms. And uh, we just uh, finished Psalm 12, which talks all about... Uh, you know, how you can glorify God with you know with your mouth and, and words are uh, you know uh, I mean I, it, what I'm trying to say is that uh, the idea of word of words and speak speaking has really made a, a real impression on me of how important it is and, and of course through your class of course <laughs> Jerry <laughs> Of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. Why, for clarity, why don't you just read Isaiah 6 that you're referencing? Good suggestion. Okay, so Isaiah 6 says... Isaiah 6 says... Okay, we went through all the woes. And Isaiah 6. In the, king, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. This is important to this. This holy man of Israel saw the Lord sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the th- of the uh, foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, "Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man myself of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But this is always the reaction you get when folks are faced with the holiness of God, with the separateness of God. This is always the reaction you get. You do not get dancing. You know, you hear Dr. Jacobs talk about this, that a lady he was talking to asked him a question, what are you going to, what's going to be the first thing you do in heaven, Dr. Jacobs? 
And he said, I'm probably going to fall on my face in front of Jesus. And the lady said, oh, really? I'm going to dance with Jesus. <laughs> oh, lady. Oh. Okay. So, and the evangelical community, you get that idea that Jesus is our friend. He certainly is. He went to great lengths to save your soul. However, we are not to lose the concept of our all-powerful, holy God to whom we owe a great obligation. Another related verse is in Psalm 12, 6, which says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in the furnace, on the ground and purified seven times. It's an illustration again about that furnace and that heat and that, and that. Totally unlike us. See, this is the thing that we're getting to in our definition of the holiness of God. And I hope this is coming across to you. That He is not like us. That we are not like Him. And in fact, there is nothing like Him. And we keep running into trying to define the holiness of God. And how's it gone so far? In your readings, how's it gone so far? Yeah, not so good is right. Because you are trying to define something of infinite goodness and purity using finite words and finite understanding. There is no way that's going to happen. Okay, so the two concepts that we're getting out of our study so far are right there. Incomprehensible. And then the new one that got introduced, one that you've heard, transcendence. So God is totally unable beyond our understanding, too vast for us to put the ocean in a coffee cup. And the transcendence is, if you think of a word, is beyond anything you already imagined. I'm going to go to the holiness of God and I've got some selected spots to hit on. Uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I didn't get to this when we were in. I'm on page 25. Now this was alarming to me. We're in the holiness of God. Page 25. I'm going to do a quick review. Two chapters. I'm going to get specific spots. Anybody else get upset with yourself over, let's say, I'm in paragraph one, two, three, a recent survey of people. Okay, you see this? Yeah. On page 25, Holiness of God, this is scroll, saying a recent survey of people who used to be church members revealed that the main reason they stopped going to church was that they found it boring. <laughs> I put a big square <laughs> They found it boring. It's difficult for many people to find worship a thrilling and moving experience. We know here, when God appeared in the temple, the doors and the thresholds trembled. The inert matter of doorposts, the inanimate thresholds, the wood and the metal that could neither hear nor speak, had the good sense to be moved by the presence of God. The literal meaning of the text is that they were shaken. They began to quake where they stood. 
Is any else, anybody else besides me guilty? I am. Anybody else? Come on now. Atomic confession. Atomic confession. <laughs> Sheila, have you ever found yourself bored in church? Yeah. Yeah. See, we come from the same stump, don't we? Wandering thoughts. Wandering thoughts. Sometimes you get you you're not really listening. You're thinking of lunch or... Hey, the confession time. time is too long. Oh, my goodness. I don't Did I do anything wrong this week? I did. Hey, I get to lead worship this morning. You'll get time today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you enjoying the service today? I am. Oh, oh time. Yeah. Yeah. I gave it away. Nice. <laughs> it won't be boring this morning. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'll tell you this. This, I asked Chris Saunders. I said, okay, just leave me specific instructions as to what I'm to do. Okay? And, and I have, it's, I have a, tell me I didn't lose that. I, I have a, a leader's, Lord of a leader's guide that looks different, very much like yours, but different. And I said, please put in there specific instructions for me. And he said, okay. So I'm looking through it. It's eight pages long. He left one instruction. In eight pages, he left one instruction. Smile. Leave the stage. <laughs> the only instruction he left. Leave. Sometimes at a certain age, it's hard to stay awake. Okay. So the whole boring thing. I don't think there's a class here. Does it? Our, well, our, here's what it is. Here's what it does apply to. Does this not speak to the heart of man? Oh, yeah. Does this not speak to the heart of man? And if you're not specifically guilty, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm not one of those. I have wandered. Yes. Well, and that's that's what I was going to say. Was maybe not necessarily bored, just thinking about everything but worshiping. Wandering thoughts. I mean, to think about doorpost quaking, and if that doesn't make you how could you not? You know, but, it, but we're dumb. We're dumb animals. This is the holiness of God. And we have gotten convinced, we've gotten convinced in the modern church that God is bending over backwards, so hopeful we're going to run into his kingdom and save him from looking foolish. It's amazing he didn't kill us in our sleep last night. <laughs> okay, so, all right, I'm going to move on. Uh, I'm now on page 28. Holiness of God, page 28. These are things I did not get to in previous weeks. I'm hustling through it because I definitely want to get to this. Okay. So I'm the. If ever there was a man of integrity. Now, this you should be well aware of as far as Isaiah is concerned. You didn't get those positions as being the prophet to Israel without being a supremely good man. Right? Is that clear? I mean, when God tabbed you to be His spokesman to the Israelites, you didn't get that job lightly. Okay? Right? Is that anybody? I mean, seriously, anybody want to argue that fact? These people were burdened with the Word of God. But they didn't all want to be prophets. They did not. Look at Jeremiah. If you want to see a guy that fought that 
Do not place this burden on me. And then he came around and said, You know, Lord, if I didn't speak out, I think my bones would cry out. So once they got the burden of the Word of God dispensed to the, to the Israelites, they couldn't help themselves. Okay, so a really good, holy man is Isaiah. If there ever was a man of integrity, it was Isaiah. He was a whole man, a together type of guy. He was considered by his contemporaries the most righteous man in the nation, Isaiah. He was respected as a paragon of virtue. Then he caught one sudden glimpse of a holy God in that single moment. All of his self-esteem was shattered. This is the proper reaction to the sight of God. He was exposed. He was made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness as long as Isaiah could compare himself to other morals. Mortal. He was able to sustain a lofty opinion of his own character. The instant he measured himself by the ultimate standard, he was destroyed morally, spiritually, annihilated. He was undone. He came apart. His sense of integrity collapsed. The sudden realization of ruin was linked to Isaiah's mouth. He cried out, I am a man of unclean lips. Strange. We might have expected him to say, I'm a man of unclean habits, or I'm a man of unclean thoughts. Instead, he called attention to his mouth. In effect, he said, I have a dirty mouth. See, we're looking at the holiness of God in some regards from the backside of it. Okay? So if you're familiar with the passage where Moses wants to see the face of God. What he got was, as our understanding is, a look at the backside or the trailing of God's glory. That's all he could take was that. So we're looking at this, the holiness of God, um, in some regard, by comparison of who we are and then by comparison who God is, or who God reveals Himself to be. Not a God of our invention, which is what happens in the Christian church trying to create understanding for the people. They create a God that is understandable. You can't do it. You know, years ago, the, uh, in the when they built all the big cathedrals and, in yep. Europe and everything else, mm-hmm. it was to get the people to understand that God could only live in a big place. Yeah, that was their thinking. Okay, so you and I, let's say we came up in the same generation. Uh, I came up in the generation that the church had to be a utility building, right? Yeah, you built a. Metal building, nothing wrong with metal building. Some of this is metal. But you built a metal building and you had stuff in there every night of the week, every part of the building. The building was supposed to be used. It was a utility building. Totally different concept than what they did in Europe where they were building those cathedrals to the glory of God. First Rolls Church, St. Andrews. There you go. Okay, to the glory of God. Now you will notice... 
we are making our best effort, Bob will verify this, to keep the sanctuary sanctuary only. That's it. We're not running Sunday school in there. We're not doing anything in there. Those doors are closed until worship. We're doing that on purpose. To the best of our ability, we're going to continue to do that. To keep the sanctuary for the purpose of worship. Trying to recapture something. Not it is not a fellowship. Good point. We are not trying to make it so. Now that seems a little stodgy. Some people. (coughs) That is our effort to make it reference. I was thinking of the original plans, though, before they they did the the basement. The original plans was for the front. uh, The the front was the sanctuary. The back part was fellowship hall. And there's even a place where they made the coffee, and it was all one. And then they changed the plan so they were able to build the basement. You're talking about the old church. The church that is no more. The church building that is no more. The church goes on. The building's gone. Yeah. Okay, I'm on page 36. Let's look at one of the words that I put on the board, transcendence. Now this again, very difficult to define. We're talking about aspects of the being of God that is infinite in all of its characteristics. To say that He is beyond us is... Superfluous. It, God's holiness is more than separateness. His holiness is transcendent. The word transcendence means literally to climb across. It is defined as exceeding usual limits. Absolutely. To transcend is to rise above something. To go above and beyond a limit. When we speak of the transcendence of God, we're talking about that sense in which God is above and beyond us. Transcendence describes His supreme, absolute greatness. Now, do you see even Sproul? Where do you grasp words that correctly define infinity and absoluteness? I mean, I appreciate the struggle. The word is used to describe God's relationship to the world. He's higher than the world. He has absolute power over the world. The world has no power over Him. Transcendence describes God in His consuming majesty, His exalted loftiness. It points to the, here we go, infinite distance between us. If you underline anything in your book, underline that infinite distance between us that separates him from every other one of his creatures. He is an infinite cut above everything else. He is transcend, uh, transcendentally separate from us. Now, there is the concept that something is only holy if God Himself makes it holy. There is no holiness outside of the fact that God makes it holy. Now you can easily refer to the Scripture. 
Very good example of this. Moses in the desert. He sees a burning bush. He gets close to it. Voice of God out of the burning bush says, Moses, take your shoes off because you are walking on holy ground. Was there something significant about the place he was walking? No. No. God declared it to be holy. Now again, I'm going to stress this point. Can you make yourself holy? I'm talking now, I'm not talking about your sanctification. Okay? But if you are truly holy in God's sight, how did that happen? God declared you to be holy. Can you force his hand? No. Can he be coerced? God, you must do this because I did this. No, no. Any of these concepts that cut across modern Christianity? You cannot force God's hand in anything. I don't care how much prayer you pour into something. You are not going to change the course of His intended purpose. Do you pray? Absolutely. Pour your heart out to Him? Absolutely. Do you beseech His favor? Sure. And you should do that heartily. But thinking you're going to change the course of God's decision. And of course, you know, this whole decision thing, you're talking about infinity. You're not talking about God in process. Very current heresy that goes through, and unfortunately it's uh, in the Methodist church that we see it most prominent. It's called open theism. Open theism is the theological concept that God is experiencing time as we are. That God does not know the future. He certainly does not chart the future. He is not in charge of anything. He is experiencing life as we are experiencing life. He's not God. Does their Bible have revelation in it? Okay, there is not a biblical condition for that. Other than to what they use uh, is Jesus saying, I don't know the day or the time. So they use, so they use Jesus making his statement um, and they they put that on uh, God and that is called open theism. It's open heresy is what it is to declare God unknowing. Now, what I'm saying to you is that the concept of God's infinity applies to every single thing about Him that we might see. So when you talk about God's infinity as it applies to His knowledge, then He has known everything always. Are we clear about this? He's not waiting for us to make a decision on something so He knows what to do. I don't mean to be trite. I mean, but this is a very clear concept that Reformed theology in the 1600s said, wait a minute. You can't say that about God. Jerry, one thing, you know, we know that time was created. 
you know, it was something that God created for man. Very good point. In sequence. Mm-hmm. It didn't wasn't created to limit God. Mm-hmm. Very good. Time is a created entity. It's a created entity. It has a start and it has a finish. Mm-hmm. We're living in that little bubble right there. All time. There you go. It has a start, it has a finish for our purpose and for God's purpose. Alright, so only God can sanctify something. Alright, now I'm now on page 38. And there's scroll does a very nice little job of summary. So I'm down where it says, We have seen. Okay? Everybody there? Yeah. We have seen the term holy call attention to this transcendence of God, the sense in which he is above and beyond the world. We have also seen that God can reach down and consecrate special things in this world and make them holy. His touch on the common makes the common suddenly uncommon. Thank you, Lord. Again, we say that nothing in this world is holy in itself. Only God can make something holy. Only God can consecrate. Now, for me and Sheila, Roman Catholic Church, was always making something holy. Okay? For example, we had holy water. This was water at the beginning of the year, consecrated typically by the bishop. He would come, consecrate this store of water. That holy water was placed in the front of the church, and you walked in, and you dipped your fingers in the holy water, and you made the sign of the cross. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, that consecrated you when you walked into the church. A lot of that going on when the Reformation took place. If you were with us for church history, we said the necessity of the Reformation. Okay. um, uh, Let me move on to... Oh, yeah. Uh, Let me move on to 41. Page 41. This is because I've done a terrible job outlining the lessons for the last two weeks. I'm playing catch-up. Okay, so, any time that you think of the holiness of God or the transcendence of God, you can typically apply three words. Three words. Awe, fear, and dread. If you look at the Scripture and you see men approach God and get a clear view of them, you see three words. Awe, fear, and dread. So we have, and this is on page 41, we tend to have mixed feelings about the holy. There is a sense in which we are, at the same time, attracted to it, yes, (coughs) and repulsed by it. Peter saying, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Something draws us toward us, while at the same time we want to run away from it. We can't seem to decide which way we want uh, want it to be. Part of us yearns for the holy, while part of us despises it. We can't live with it, and we can't live without it. Okay, now I'm getting ahead of myself. This was Martin Luther's response to his view of the Scripture that said, Love God, I hate Him. 
He can't be satisfied. He won't leave me alone. I am constantly under condemnation. All fear and dread. Okay, I'm now on page 43. <clears throat> which remarkably I am we are now caught up. In Otto study, top of page 43. Now this is Rudolf Otto. Remember wait, I talked about him, I think the first class. Um, Mysterium Tremendum. Alright, this was Rudolf Otto that studied this concept of holy. In Otto's study of the human experience of the holy, he discovered that the clearest sensation that human beings have when they experience the holy is an overpowering, overwhelming sense of their creatureliness. He was not a believer. He was a philosopher. Okay, so he's looking at this with unbiased eyes. Okay. Intellectually. That is, when we are aware of the presence of God, we are most aware of ourselves as creatures. When we meet the absolute, we know immediately that we are not absolute. When we meet the infinite, we become acutely conscious of the fact we are finite. When we meet the eternal, we know we are temporal. To meet God is a powerful study in contrast. So this is what you're talking about when you're talking about the holiness of God, is that He is not like us. Now that doesn't necessarily draw you to Him, and yet, are you not drawn to Him? Yeah, I mean, I think you are. I think I am. Drawn to Him because you know and understand there is something here that I desperately need. But He made you desperate. He made you desperate. This is Romans 1. Right. That says that every man has an innate sense of God. <coughs> And how do we know that that's true? Is that our opinion? Romans 1 says clearly, no. God made this evident to them. So we have the testimony of Scripture that when people reject God, it's not blindness per se as it is rejection. You know, you think back into your own conversion. Okay. Yeah, I talk about this all the time. Sheila and I raised Catholic. I knew all about God. And people witnessing to me was a total waste of time. And then something happened there where we started going to church. They started preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, for me, now this is all of a sudden, all I can see is me and this vast place to where God was. So there was me, then the open expanse and where God was, and I was acutely aware of my total inability to bridge that gap. God, how do I do that? How do I get here to you? See, Roman Catholicism gave me away. Went to confession, went to communion, went to church, went to holy days, said my novena. You had a place to go. I had a method to get there. Now I was hearing there was no method. God, how do I do this? And so 
Talk about being very open to the preaching of the gospel. <laughs> when somebody said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to me except through the Father. I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do have a way. Okay, holiness of God. Um, so now to your... Now this is toast. So we're using him as an accessory to the holiness of God with a whisperal. And look at his look at his prayer on the I love this. Glory be to God on high. We praise you. We bless you. We worship you for your great glory, Lord. I this is Job. Lord, I uttered that which I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my mind sees you. In the reaction of Job seeing God, I abhor myself. I abhor myself. In dust and ashes, O Lord, I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. I've spoken once, I've spoken twice, but I will speak no more. I will proceed no further because I have seen the Lord. And then he, the tozer morphs into Isaiah. And while I was musing, the fire burned, Lord, I must speak of you, lest by my silence I offend against the generation of all of your children. Behold, you have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. Lord, forsake me not. Let me show forth your strength unto this generation, and your power to everyone that is to come. Lord, I pray, raise up pastors and teachers unto this generation. Excuse me. Raise up pastors and teachers in your church who shall magnify your glory. And through your almighty spirit, restore your people the knowledge of the Holy. Lord God, let us have a reverent fear of you. A reverent dread of you. A reverent awe of you. Please God, don't let us look at you in a trivial manner. This is what he's praying. Reverent. Sacred. The moral shock suffered by us through our mighty break with the high will of heaven has left us with a permanent trauma affecting every part of our nature. There is disease both in ourselves and in our environment. Now there's a part in here that is going to sound so much like that. The sudden realization of his personal depravity came like a stroke from heaven upon the trembling heart of Isaiah. At the moment when he had his revolutionary vision of the holiness of God, his pain-filled cry again. Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I understand this now because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This expresses the feeling of every man who has discovered himself under his disguises pretensions under his disguises and has been confronted with an inward sight of the holy whiteness that is God such an experience cannot but be emotionally violent 
I'm asking you to reflect back to your conversion, the early days of your conversion. The next paragraph, we have learned to live. Look at this. This is Tozer writing 50 years ago. We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of our minds to allow the sweet waters of truth that will heal our great sickness. So, yeah, again, this is not trying to define the holiness of God in a manner that you can walk back and say, I now have a Webster's Dictionary definition of holiness of God. This is trying in both books. This is trying to set God as much as we can to see Him in His proper place. And us by comparison, and you understand the differences, that He is holy and absolute and perfect and infinite. We are not. And the thing is, the amazing thing about this is we get to share in His kingdom. We get to share in His house. I mean, the Scripture says we eat at His table. You ever think about that? I will be welcome into the house of the Lord. Does God have a house? No, He doesn't have a house. It's imagery for us to understand. We are welcomed into fellowship with Him. We don't know. All right, I'm not going to go there. In my father's house, there are many mentions. There you are. Okay, not fighting that with you. Jerry, when that first paragraph that you read about Job, he had that's right after the whirlwind. Oh yeah. I mean, what does that take? Three chapters of how stupid can you be? How great am I? What God went through with him? If you look at Job, you study through Job, what you see clearly is that he starts out in a pretty righteous spot. You know? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And consistently through that book of Job, as he suffers, and I'm not picking at him. I I wouldn't have lasted as long as he did. Okay? But as he continues to suffer, he gets more demanding of the fact that God has made a mistake. You are wrong... And if you, and he says this, I'm not making this up, if you, the coward that you are, hiding behind the darkness of your clouds, if you would come out, I will point out and I'll show you this mistake you have made. That's when God appears. And Job says, Oh, oh, I abhor myself. So that's how that... But, you know, the demandingness that we make of God and claim He's wrong. Okay. So let me move on here. Okay, let me do uh, page two. And again, if you're using the authorized version that I handed out to you, it is underlined and authorized and bracketed. Okay, here. This non-rational dread. Okay, this is one, two, third paragraph. This non-rational dread, this feeling for the uncreated mystery of this world is at the back of all religion, not just ours. The pure religion of the Bible, no less than the basis animism of the naked tribesmen, exists only because this basic instinct is present in human nature. 
we're not the only ones searching after the Holy God. We're the only ones that have the correct revelation of Him. And I had a really good quote I wanted to be sure to read. Okay. Uh, next to the last paragraph. Holy is the way of God. To be holy, He does not conform to a standard. So defining Him is going to be wrong. Because He does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, here's your word, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is because He is holy. His attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy, absolutely unique and infinite. God is holy and He has made His holiness. Watch this. He has made His holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of His universe. Is it important that you strive after holiness? It certainly is. That you strive after Him and strive mightily. Second Peter, applying all diligence because holiness is the condition of His universe. Uh, caught in this dilemma that's the paragraph I'm looking at on page 3 and this is a, there's a phrase in here that I just loved I wrote it down thought about using it this morning during worship caught in this dilemma what are we Christians to do we must like Moses cover ourselves with faith and humility while we steal a quick look at the God whom no man can see and live. The broken and the contrite heart God will not despise. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. And in fact, and here's the phrase I like we must take refuge from God in God. We must take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in His Son while He disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of His holiness. There is a method to all of this that has everything to do with at one point at, the, at our demise, passing from life to eternal life, we will be complete. Because holiness cannot cohabitate with God. Unholiness cannot cohabitate with God. We will be holy and complete. Isn't that a wonderful idea? How are we going to recognize each other if you're not a sinner? No. Jonathan, I'm not going to know you. No. <laughs> Okay, we're done. We'll move on with uh, enthrall. We'll go to uh, chapter four, I think. This, you know, and I am picking through the knowledge of the holy, using chapters where I want to, where they fit. I'm not going to chapter to chapter. Lord, thank you for the grace that you extend to us. We claim to be what we are. It's so obvious to you. 
And yet we strive. We strive after you. We want to be holy. We would love to be sinless. Lord, we look forward to the day that we will not want to sin, that we will be removed from the very presence of sin. We look forward to that day. For those things, Lord, that are about us that are contrary to your will and your desire, and we pray we don't want those. We do want to be holy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.